Ah, thank the Lord. You may be seated. You may be seated. I love that song. Man, guys, it kind of tells the whole story. And honestly, as we go into this new teaching series, Christmas in Idaho, that's what I want to do is tell the story again. Now, I want you to turn your Bibles to John chapter uh, 1. And then when it comes to uh, here in just a few minutes, I'm going to go to John chapter 8. So I'm going to keep it close. John chapter 1. And then if you you know want to have John chapter 8 on standby, ready to go. And I'm going to go ahead and uh, do some plugging in here because here's what I want to do this morning. I, I actually want to totally change the way you forever see Christmas lights, all right? So, so I, real quick, how many of you guys have already decorated for Christmas? God bless you. Um, how many of you decorated before Thanksgiving? Okay, I, no, I, mad respect, mad respect. I, I have no problem with that. Well, here's the deal. Like the day after Thanksgiving, I'm still in turkey coma and um, I just start getting these little hints from my wife that we should start hanging up the lights. And, and listen, here, here's the thing, man. Lori's not here. I gotta do a quick change. Um, I hate it. I literally hate, hate, hate hanging Christmas lights. Anybody with me? I'm just, yeah, I see you husbands out there. You're like, some of you are like trying to like, you're quietly doing the golf clap. I, I get it, man. Listen, we're in this together. And so, so my, my, my thing is this. The main reason, it has nothing to do with like I hate lights. I'm not a Grinch or Scrooge or anything like that. I got this weird fear of getting on ladders. Like, like ladders freak me out. They do. Like, like I don't have, like, like for instance, I went skydiving. Like I can jump out of an airplane. Doesn't bother me at all. You get me on an extension ladder and it literally, I, I'm just, I'm like quivering. And especially when Cole's down there at the bottom, dad, don't fall. Like, shut up, kid. I mean, like that's bad enough the way it is. So anyway, I mean, I'm just getting these vibes that, that Lori is wanting the lights hung up. And, and be honest with you, um, I haven't done it yet. And uh, I know that at some point I'm going to do it because if there's anything that proves my undying love for Lori, it's the fact that I put up these lights. But here's the deal. I have just gone away. I'm not doing the super, because we have the two-story house. I'm not doing the super high beams. And you can judge me, but I believe Jesus' words, lo, I'm with you always. And so I'm going to keep it that way. <laughs> But, 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 but here's, here's the deal, man. I, there, there's something about lights, though, that are, that are pretty cool. And, and, and here's the thing. You know, like when, when Christmas lights first came out, I don't know if you guys knew this. Like in, in Germany, the 16, 1700s, like they didn't have, thanks to Thomas Edison, these kind of lights, right? They would literally attach burning candles to Christmas trees. Now, if that's not a recipe for disaster, I don't know what is. And so thanks to good old Tom, I get the chance to do this. But here's my thing. I, I want to totally change the way we view what is a very, very familiar part of, of Christmas. And so if you're, if you're taking notes this morning, I'm going to go ahead and just write, write up here at the very beginning, give you my big points so you can, you can write this down. And, 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 and so hang with me because you're going to hear it and you're going to be like, oh yeah, I know where he's going. And you're going to be wrong because you don't know where I'm going today, right? But here's, here's my big point. You can write this down. Christmas lights remind us that the light has come. Christmas lights remind us that the light has come. And I want to talk about why that is so significant. And we're going to end up in, in John chapter 1 eventually. But, but what I've got to do is I've got to hit, I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to come back to that. Um, 
we're going to hit the re- rewind on the, the remote. We're going to go all the way back to the dark ages, right? Okay? And so when I say dark ages, like you went to school and it's like it's between the 5th and 10th century AD. No, totally. I disagree. We're going to go right past medieval period. We're going to go, we're going to go past Christ being born. We're going to go all the way back to 587 BC. And you're like, okay, what's up with that? Well, hang with me because we're going to go to a place called Jerusalem. It's getting ready to become one of the darkest places in the world. And here's why this is important. Because what I want us to do when we show up in Jerusalem, we're going to look for a prophet by the name of Ezekiel. Now, this is a man of God who God gives messages to for Israel. He's trying to wake up his people because I'm telling you, they have gone off the wagon. I mean, they are so jacked up. I mean, they are messed up. And so if we would find Ezekiel, probably at the time that we're looking for him, it's is the time that, that Ezekiel 10 and 11 was written, if we would find him, he's gonna look kind of traumatized. He might even have trouble articulating the words, and here's why. Ezekiel has just seen something that no one else in this wicked city of Jerusalem can see. God gave him a vision. He articulates this in Ezekiel 10 through 11. He gave him a vision of God's glory leaving the temple. Now for us, it's like, okay, yeah, I mean, it sounds bad, but but what's the significance here? Well, here's what you gotta know. The, The Jews... I mean, there's centuries past God being the one and only God they serve. I mean, they've mixed in some Baal worship. They have other gods they serve. They're like pretty messed up things that are going. They're even known to occasionally offer, the Jews are occasionally known to offer their kids in sacrifice to to false gods. It's got really, really dark in Jerusalem. But the one thing that the Jews always held on to was the fact that they were God's people and that his presence dwelt in the city of Jerusalem and in the temple. Solomon had built this temple. In, in, there was a place called the Holy of Holies. And in this Holy of Holies, there's, there's something they called the Ark of the Covenant. And over the Ark of the Covenant, it was said that there, God's glory dwelt. Now, Ezekiel has just been given a vision, when we catch up to him, of God's glory departing from, leaving the temple. And it didn't stop there. He saw God's glory literally make its way through Jerusalem and exit out the eastern gate. In essence, he saw God saying, so long, everybody, I've left the city. Now, I want you to, I want you to hang with me. Now, we know that God is everywhere. I, I, you know, I, I just, I, you just got to understand the significance of this. The Jews viewed God as a good luck charm. Let's be honest. Some of us do the same thing. We, we do, you know, we, we, we leverage that good luck charm when we need it. Like if, I need, if I'm a crisis, I come back to God. He's kind of that good luck. It's, it's kind of like, you know, the, the, the tool. You know, you got one of those Leatherman tools, you know, you carry it around just in case you need it. God was a good luck charm. And so the one thing they would hold on to is like, nobody can take us down because we're always going to come out on top because God's glory is in the temple. God, this is the city of God. Zion, they called, they called Jerusalem the, the, the city of Zion. This is where God dwells. And yet Ezekiel sees God 
exiting the temple, the glory of God exiting out the eastern gate. And this is why I'm saying that 587 BC was the start of the dark ages. Because it would just be weeks, months, less than a year later that Jerusalem would fall. The Babylonians would would literally bring the temple down to nothing left of it but rubble. The, the, The Jews that weren't killed were exiled to Babylon. And I'm gonna tell you right now, the world had never seen darker than when they took a look back and they saw what they thought was their good luck charm. Man, the temple and and Jerusalem, they saw it absolutely destroyed. It was dark. In the centuries that followed, it was dark, 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 dark. Now, why is that significant? Why am, I ta- why am I talking about this? Well, I want us to hit fast forward on our, our, uh, our history remote, if you will. And now I want us to leave 587 BC and we're gonna go f- into the future 600, more, a little more than 600 years. And we're gonna come to, this is after Jesus. And there's, there's a guy who's putting pen to paper for the first time. This is an apostle, his name's John. We're, we're, we're getting ready to read his words. This is a guy who spent time with Jesus. And what he's going to do is he's, he's going to write the story of Jesus in a very unique and creative way. He wants people to understand the significance of what has happened because Jesus showed up. He wants future generations to understand how Jesus changed everything. And so he begins his letter. You know, how, I mean, how do you start every good story, right? Once upon a time, once upon a time. Listen, he starts his story this way. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He's talking about Jesus here. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Now I want you to listen to verses four and five. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, I'm gonna gonna stop here because throughout this entire series, we're gonna be hanging out here in John chapter one. And we're gonna be looking at a most unique telling of the Christmas story. Like when we think of of Christmas programs, we think of Luke chapter two, Matthew chapter two, like nobody's using John chapter one for their Christmas program. It's just hard for us to, to, you know, describe this to to make sense. Like there are no shepherds or or innkeepers or, or wise men or anything like that. And yet there is a power and a beauty here in this account that G, that, that John is writing is powerful. And so what he's doing, I just want to make sure that we get this as, as we, as we read here in John chapter one, He's using creation language to introduce us. And here's why. Like if you go back to Genesis chapter one, verse one, here's what we read. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. we've, We've heard that verse, right? What does verse two of Genesis chapter one reveal to us? It says that the earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. Now, this is, this is really important because, because what was the first thing that God spoke into existence in creation? What was the first thing he spoke into existence? Light. Now, here's the deal. We don't know what this light constituted of because it's not till uh, a couple days, a few days later that we're gonna see the sun, the moon, and the stars uh, created. 
Many theologians, uh, scholars, you know, guess, we don't know for sure, that, that it's, it's actually just even the, the glory of the Father that, 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 that illuminated what he was going to do in creation. But the reality was, we know that he created light first. And why was that necessary? You can't have life without light. The two of them are inseparably linked. You cannot have one without the other. And so what John is doing, he's telling the Christmas story, this account of, of Jesus coming to the world in a, in a whole new way. To, to, to put it a different way, what he's saying in, in verses four and five is that when Jesus showed up, it was like creation happened all over again. Literally, he's, he's saying, he says, man, there's this darkness there's, there's a nothing, there's a void that is there. It's just, he's using Genesis 1 language. And, and he's saying, and then the light comes, the light shows up, and now, because the light has come, we have the potential for life. And so, so John's gonna go on through the rest of, of his letter, what we call the Gospel of John, and he's gonna point out, you, you're, if you read through John, and I would challenge you throughout this Christmas season, read through the Gospel of John. It will give you so much perspective and appreciation for, for the, the Christmas story. He, he talks about signs. He doesn't talk about miracles. He uses the word signs time and time and time and time again. And he gets all the way to John chapter 20, verse 31, and, and he talks about why these signs were given. To point to Jesus Christ as being the light and, and to point to the fact that all who believe in him might have life. It's the whole reason he wrote his story. And he starts with the Christmas story, Jesus showing up. But what you got to know is when he uses this analogy of light, it's not, like, it's not like he just came up with this himself. No, he is specifically remembering something that took place in Jesus' ministry and a statement Jesus made. And this is where we're going to go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. John has introduced Jesus a certain way, and then we're going we're gonna to explain what informed his explanation and his, his introduction of Jesus. And so what we're going to do, and I, man, I've got, you guys got to hang with me. I, I'm, I'm throwing in a lot of history here today, but that, man, this is very, very significant to us today. So, so I, remember, dark, like Ezekiel saw, God's presence left the temple. Now, here's the thing. We're going we're gonna to see in John chapter 8, this is, this is given the count. You can read about it. John 7, the, the wind and all that sort of thing. He comes late to a festival called the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, Feast of Tabernacles, maybe you've, you've heard of that. In the Old Testament, it's called the Feast of Booths. Even today, um, uh, the Jews still celebrate this. It's called Sukkot. It's, it's, it's a celebration that they have. It's a time of remembrance of, of remembering how God delivered the, the Israelites from slavery. You got to understand that this deliverance from slavery was a big deal. All three of the feasts that the Lord commanded in which he says, you have to come and appear before me at the place of my choosing, all three of them had to do with remembering the exodus from Egypt and how God delivered them from slavery. It is the focal event of the Old Testament. And, and as we go on through this series, we're going to see how that ties in to the New Testament and even today, because it's really cool. You can't truly understand the New Testament unless you grasp some of these things from the Old Testament. So, so the Feast of the Tabernacles is a celebration, and, and let me describe, uh, okay, so, so you guys love Thanksgiving, right? I mean, like you guys said, you love Thanksgiving. I mean, we love getting together, friends and family, we have a great time. You know, you get the day off of work, you eat, phenomenal meal, you... you you, you have a time of rest, but it's also a time of celebration, a time of remembrance. 
Take Thanksgiving, as awesome as it is, and multiply it times eight, and you've got the Feast of Tabernacles. It's an eight-day celebration in which nobody, everybody ceases from working. It's in the fall. This is a time to remember what God has done. There's all kinds of celebrating, all kinds of great food. Friends, family, everybody gathers together. We're part of this together. It's an incredible, incredible uh, holiday. And, and so, so everybody's gathered here in Jerusalem, uh, here in John chapter 8. And, and, and so they, they, they've come together for this. And what they know is that every day of the celebration, there are two very important ceremonies that take place. In the morning, there's something that they call, it's a water ceremony, in which they remember Remember, they go down, the, the priest will take this procession, the worshipers will follow in behind him. They've got this golden pitcher, they'll go from the temple down to this place called the Pool of Siloam. They dip the, they dip the pitcher in there, bring the water back. There's a, there's a big altar there. They pour the water on the altar and it's a, it's a water offering before the Lord. And what they're doing, the reason they, they have this ceremony is they're remembering how when they were thirsty in the wilderness, God provided water out of a rock. So they celebrate that. And if you read John chapter seven, Jesus actually gives a lot of significance to that. And so I'm not gonna get into that because I'm talking about John chapter eight. But in the evening, they have another, another thing that takes place in which they have the lighting of the candles. Now, probably some of you guys know what a menorah is, right? Throw up the picture, guys. This is a menorah. Maybe you're familiar, like if you've seen pictures from Hanukkah or something like that. Well, when it came to the Feast of Tabernacles in Herod's temple that was later destroyed in 70 AD, so we don't have it now, uh, they had four giant menorahs there in one of the courtyards. In fact, when I say giant, they were 75 foot tall. Now, this was just a smaller menorah. I mean, it's, it's big. This is at the Wailing Wall uh, today in, 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 Israel, in Jerusalem. But, but the, these giant menorahs were said, they, when they were lit, on, on each evening of the Feast of Tabernacles, it said that it was so bright that it would literally illuminate every corner of the city of Jerusalem. And so they had this big ceremony when they would light these candles. And what they did, the reason they lit these candles, the reason this was so significant was they remembered what took place when they were delivered, when they were delivered from slavery. The very first day they leave, God shows up. And how does he manifest himself? How's he manifest himself? Two ways, if you read Exodus. Cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. And so what they're doing is they're remembering, they're commemorating. Hey, we remember when God was here, it's a celebration. We're remembering that the, the light showed up. Now, this was very important. If you're taking notes, write this down. The reason why the pillar of fire was so significant to the Israelites, there were three reasons. Number one, it signified God's presence. It was God saying, I am with you. Like, I don't know if, if your parents have kids or grandparents, your grandkids come over, spend the night, and they want to sleep with a, a nightlight, right? They're just comforted by the light. Think about this. You're tucking your kid in, because, you know, you just, if you're the Israelites, you've left with, you, at best, you have tents that you're staying in, and you cannot miss the light, and the light, your nightlight, literally is signifying the fact that God's saying, I'm here. Everything is under control. I am present. Light and darkness goes a long way. I know, man, we were in, uh, a few years ago, I was preaching in the Philippines, and we drove, like, to the middle of nowhere. And when I say, like, I'm not exaggerating when I say it was the middle 
of nowhere. Like getting back there, they didn't even have a trail that was big enough. We were making a trail with our, they have something called a jeepney. And, and I was on top of the jeepney with all the luggage. And, and like, I'm, I'm ducking among the, the luggage because the branch is trying to take my head off. We're in the middle of nowhere. I get up to speak. They have a single light bulb suspended by a cord. Somehow they've strung it up. They have from some generator or something, they have one light bulb. And that's what I preached under. Well, me and every bug in the Philippines that came to the light. In fact, they told, like, later they told me, they said, while you were preaching, they said, literally your shirt was moving. I had so many bugs that flew down. They were like, I literally could feel them just flying around. They have a great time. Anyway, I say that. When there's darkness, the light, man, it brings attention. Here's the thing. They could not miss the fact that with the pillar fire, they knew that, that, that God was present. He's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm here with you. But the second thing that, that, it, that it signified was God's protection. I am for you. And when they lit these menorahs during the Feast of Tabernacles, they would remember something we find recorded in Exodus chapter four, uh, 14. This is when they've left. The Egyptian army is chasing them. They get to the, they get, they get to the, re, uh, the Red Sea. And as, as they're crossing, they're taking after them. And this is, at that time, one of the mightiest armies in the world. And what we read in Exodus 14, 24 is that the Lord, in the pillar of fire and the cloud, threw the Egyptian forces into a panic and literally he destroyed them. When they saw the pillar of fire, they were reminded of the fact it wasn't just that God was with them. There was a confidence. It, they knew that he was for them. But as incredible as those two things are, there was another thing that was indicated by the pillar of fire. Anytime the Israelites would have seen the pillar of fire, it would have reminded them of this, of God's direction. I am leading you. Because it's very unique when you go back to and you look at the, the, the Israelites as they're in the wilderness. When the light moved, they moved. When the light stayed, they stayed. Wouldn't that be amazing? Just to have that clarity. It was like, you know, what should I do? Should I, should I move? Should I go here? And the, the light moves like, well, got my answer. I'm following the light. Wouldn't that be amazing? Well, here's the deal, man. The, the, the Israelites had this great confidence from the pillar of fire. It, told, it spoke of God's presence, his protection, his leadership. And yet, in this Feast of Tabernacles, they would light these candles. They would remember how God showed up tangibly, that, that they could not miss the, the, the light, the, the, the pillar of fire. But they were celebrating something they had never personally seen. Now, I want you, to, I want you to, to hang with me because when we get into John chapter eight, it's very important of the when. While we read, in fact, it, it starts in John chapter seven, towards the end of John chapter seven, it says that when, when, when Jesus began to speak, it was the last day of the feast. And so we, we have what happens in John chapter seven, John chapter eight, there's the, the first part where he speaks to the, the lady that's caught in sin, that's pretty awesome. But then we get, he's teaching in the courtyard, uh, the, tre the, the courtyard of the temple, it's the treasury part of the temple. This is where they had these giant menorahs. But here's, here's the deal, it's the last day of the feast. On the last night following the last day of the feast, they did not light the candles. Now, like December 26th, what happens on December 26th? 
Like some of you are like, thank God we're done. Let's get this tree out of the living room. Let's get the, let's take the decorations off, take down the lights, put them in the boxes, put it in the shed, put it in the attic, put it in the garage, whatever. We're done. December 22nd, 26th, let's be honest, it's a little depressing because I love, I love Christmas. I love hanging out with my family. I like the games. I like reading Luke 2. I like the prayer. I like the presents. I like it all. December 26th, it's like, eh, eh. Guys, the closest analogy that I can make to what Jesus is saying here in John chapter eight is for the Jews, it was December 26th, if you will. The eight days of partying, the celebration is over. In the temple court, well, I'm gonna read some words, but you gotta, I, want you to, I want you to go there with me. In this temple court, in front of lamps that have been lit every single night up to this point, but now they're cold and they're dark, it's impossible not to realize that the glory of God has not been seen since 587 B.C., they have not had a tangible visitation of God's presence. And what they've done for the last eight days is they've remembered, but now that the feast is over, the lights are out, they're not being lit again, the reality sinks in. What Ezekiel saw all those years ago is still true. Presence of God is gone, left the city. Let's just get together next year and we'll remember again. Until then, here we go, we're back to the darkness. And it's against this darkened, gloomy backdrop that Jesus says words that provided the impetus for John writing what he wrote when he told a Christmas story in John 1, 4 through 5. Jesus said this in John 8, 12, in front of those menorahs. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, come on. We're, we're hearing this. We... Like, we've heard the Christmas story. We take so many things for granted. I want you to think about what has taken place. This is nearly 600 years of darkness, if you will. And here's what Jesus, in essence, is saying. The glory is back. The light has come. And he's asking this question, are you ready to again follow the light? You've just spent seven days remembering the Israelites following the light. The light's here, baby. Are you ready to follow? Because you know what I found out? Many times we prefer to celebrate something from the past rather than to in faith partake in the present. And what is taking place here is that he is saying the light has come. You don't have to go back to darkness. I am the glory. I am God come to you. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the light that reveals the Father. I'm the only way that you can have this life. And this is why John is writing in, in verses four through five, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is saying you don't have to go back to the darkness. The party doesn't have to end. You can have light and because there's light, you can have life more abundant. This is what he's saying. You can experience God's presence, his protection, his leadership. We've been talking about it. We're celebrating it. The light is here. You can follow me. This is such a powerful thing. 
So John's writing his account of the Christmas story and he's saying something that is, that is mind-blowing. God's glory has come back. And this time it's gonna be different. In fact, a major theme that you're gonna see from this place forward is, as we read the, the letters is this whole theme of walking in the light. Light becomes a primary theme in the New Testament to, to describe this, but it's not a light that dwells in a building made by, by hands as they thought that it did back then. It literally is a light that dwells with the people of God who believe. Christ has come to be light, to take down roots. And guys, as we go through this series of the next few weeks, we're gonna see the significance of this. But guys, what I want us to understand as I, as I bring this to a close this, this fact that the light has come is a very bold call. And it's a call that includes four different things. And so I want you to, I want you to, to hang with me for the next few minutes as we, as we wrap this up. Number one, you see, when Jesus said what he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He's calling them not to remain as they were. He's calling them to live differently. You see, to follow the light, to walk in the light, as we're gonna see in, in, in the weeks to come, is first and foremost a call to live with consistency and integrity. And here's why that's important. Here's why that's important. If you walk in the light, if you are following the light, the light will expose you too. And guys, as a pastor, I just, I, I, I wanna say this and, and be, I wanna say this carefully. Some of you are having the struggle. You want to walk in the light, but you still want to remain with some of your deeds in darkness. It is impossible to pursue sin in Jesus at the same time. And there are people in this room, I'm convinced of this, that you are living a life in which you are hiding things. You are hiding things from a spouse, you're hiding things from your family, you're hiding things from a friend. Guys, you might even be hiding things from, you, you're hiding things from yourself, you're lying to yourself. Can I tell you that what the light does is it, it just like the menorahs, it says that every corner of Jerusalem was illuminated. You cannot come to the light without the lies being exposed for what they are. And, and, and for those of us who fear the lie being coming out into the open, can I tell you that's the only way to break free? The consequences of concealment are far greater than the consequences of, of, of confession. Listen, there is a beauty, that, 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 that there's something beautiful that happens when we come to the light. Because what we desire, and I truly believe that we desire a life that, that, that is one of cons consistency and integrity, where what I say and, and who I am around this group of people or in this situation is the same who I am when, when, when I'm by myself or with this group of people. We long for consistency and integrity. The only way to experience this truly is to come to the light, to come to Christ, to be transformed by Christ, and then to walk after the light, to know his protection, to know his presence, to know his power. You see, this is a call, first of all, to live with consistency and integrity, but it's secondly, a call and I think, in, and I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you, this one here, maybe we wrestle with it. It's a call to live attractively. 
You're like, what's that mean? What's, what's it mean to live attractively? In Matthew 5.14, Jesus saying to people who are learning from him, he said, you are the light of the world. And you're like, well, hold on a second. He just said he's the light of the world. And John, why is he saying you are the light of the world? What he's saying in essence is you have the light shining through you. He says you're like a city on a hill that cannot be hid. Because the interesting thing is a lot, the, the light of Christ, it, it's like we're the menorah and he's the flame. We're, we're literally the menorah that's, that, 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 that lifts up the flame, the light. We're just a means through which the light shines. And there's an attractiveness, a, a, a winsomeness that, that, that marks a person who's experienced the light. This past Tuesday, we, had, uh, we, we were having a prayer service. We have a prayer service every Tuesday morning at 8 p.m., or 8 p.m., 8 a.m. And um, at, at the end of, at the, end of the, the prayer service, we were just kind of sharing. Uh, and, and there's a guy there, a guy by the name of Chad. I love this guy. He lives right next door to the church. And I asked him for permission to share the story. But um, he told, uh, I, I was actually talking about this marked change I've seen in his life. Since he has met Jesus, Chad Shoemaker is not the same. Literally, he's transformed. And I, I actually was just in front of everybody. I just said, Chad, man, your life is such an inspiration. Man, the light just shines through you. There's something powerful. And after we, were, after we had finished, he walked out and he, he grabbed me and he said, man, that means a lot. He said, I remember, he said, as you said that, I remembered sitting over in my, uh, in, in my living room looking out the window at the parking lot here at Grace. He said, I'm sipping whiskey and Coke and looking out and he said, I'm angry. I'm mad at God. I'm mad at the world. And he said, I'm mad at, he said, every car that, wa- that, that I saw drive, drive into the property, I'm like, there's another hypocrite re- getting ready to go into that, that church. And he said, I was filled, I was so filled with bitterness. And he said, hatred is what marked me. He said, when I met Jesus, he changed everything. And I'm, I'm telling you guys, if you, if you know Chad, if, if you met him today, you'd never know that that's, that's who he used to be. The light there, it's, it's a call to attractiveness, to, to attractive living. The most ugly person, not physically. Well, I don't know, maybe, maybe physically too, I don't know. The ugliest disposition will be utterly transformed by the light. But it's not just that. It's, it's, it's a call to live courageously. It's a call to live courageously. Church, I just got to tell you this. To walk in the light is not something for cowards. Because when we walk in the light, the light illuminates a city that's, that's on a hill, Jesus said, cannot be hid. And even unintentionally, the light, even through us, will expose the sins and the sinfulness and the darkness of others. Now, I don't say this, that we're called to, to be the force light where I am God's LED. Let me come into your life and show you everything. No, that's not what I'm talking about, right? But what, I'm, what, I'm, what I am saying is this. The light of Christ, it, it's gonna be so that the, the people are gonna say, man, can you turn down the lights a little bit? It's a little bright in here. Can, can, you, just, can you just back off a little bit? Can, can, just put out the light for a little bit. Can you go in, just, just leave? Listen to me. They're gonna call on you to dim your light. Don't you dare do it. You're a coward if you do, and cowards don't follow Jesus. 
We're called to pick up our Christ. You see, to walk in the light, to receive the light, is to live a courageous life. But it's not just that we're called to, to live attractively, that we're called to, to live courageously and to live with consistency and integrity. We're also called to live hopefully. Hopefully. Because what this, because the light has come, it means that I have hope for today. I don't have to go back to the darkness. What has defined me up to this point is not who I am. The light has come. And because the light has come, it changes everything. Literally, it changes everything. And can I tell you, the light shows up in, in many different ways. We, 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 we have this like Western evangelical understanding of, of, of coming to the light and how we're saved that, that is nowhere in the Bible. We think it all has to happen a programmatic way. God can work through many different ways. He can work through invitations. He can work through witnessing. He can work through his word. Can I tell you that he can just work through his Holy Spirit to get a hold of somebody's heart? I've just seen evidence of this. In fact, I'm gonna share a personal story. For the last, man, I don't know how many years, I've been praying for my family. I've been praying for my sister. I've been praying for my brother-in-law. Eric and Lynn, I love them, love them, love them. In fact, I've got a group of three, three or four guys that meet every, every Wednesday morning at 5.30 a.m. They asked me several years ago, how, how can we pray for you? How can we pray with you? And I just said, would you just pray for my sister and, 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 and Eric that, that God would transform their lives? And, and Brad or Gary or somebody would stop by and say, hey, have you, have you heard anything? How are things going? I'm like, I don't know. I just believe that God's moving. Last... Saturday, I got a text and it's from my brother-in-law. He said, hey, this is Eric. And he said, I just wanted you to know something. He said, this might sound a little weird, but I, I felt like I needed to share, you, not, share with you. Now, here's what you gotta know. I've only, because of distance, he and my sister haven't been, haven't been married super long. I, and when I go back, we haven't always spent time together. I, I've only been with him maybe five times in my entire life, but I prayed for he and my sister regularly. He said, a month or so ago, we'd gone through some marital issues and said, your sister walked out and said, I can't do this. And we, as a family, had been praying for them. He said, for the very first time, I called out to God. And you gotta understand, he, t he told me, he said, I, I, I remember being to church when I was six years old. And that's a, I, I, he said, I was not raised in a Christian family at all. I doesn't know anything about God. He said, I prayed, God, would you bring Lynn back? And if you bring her back, I'll serve you. A few days later, Lynn came back and he's like, ah, oh, it's probably just a coincidence. <laughs> but he said, I couldn't get away from what? I just had the, and he, he said it this way. He said, I had all of these spiritual thoughts come into my mind and I couldn't do anything about it. I thought I was going crazy. He said, I kept trying to push it down, but they kept coming. So I didn't know this when he gave me the text on Saturday. I, I talked to him uh, this Tuesday. He said, I just went to YouTube and I, I, I typed in, what does it mean to find God? And man, he said, I went to video after video and out of all the psycho weirdos that are on YouTube, he got the right ones. I don't know how I found them, but it was the Holy Spirit. It was a light that was lighting his way. 
He said they kept on talking about asking Christ for forgiveness and asking to be Lord of your life. And he said, I just, I quit, just shut down. He said, I was researching it. He said, I tried to think about it. And then I tried to not think about it. He said, I couldn't get away from it. And he said, this was on Saturday when he texted me. He said, yesterday, the thought hit me. What if I just ask Christ to forgive me my sins, to become Lord of my life? And he said, again, I just tried to ignore it. But he said, this morning, I couldn't escape it. And so I just asked God, would you forgive me my sins? and be Lord of my life. And he said, I got done, and I'm, he said, I just had this weird urge that I needed to let you know for some reason. And he said, I didn't want to do it, and your sister came home, and she's like, no, you really, I think he wants to get that text. Long story short, when I talked to him on Tuesday, he said, I don't know how to explain it. He said, it's like I'm a new person. I'm not, he said, I don't know, I don't know the language, I, don't, I just, I feel like I'm new. And I said, it's because you are. I walked into Ephesians chapter two where it says that once we were dead, we were in darkness, lost in the trespasses of our sins, and yet Christ made us alive. And I shared, man, you have life. And today, for the first time in over 20 years, my brother-in-law was sitting in a church. I guess they're probably out by now. If you're watching this, dude, I'm proud of you. But it was the first, he told me, it's the first time since I was six years old I've walked through the doors of a church. God's absolutely transformed his life. Here's why I share that story. Because I'm convinced that there are a lot of people, we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate the fun, all, the, all that, and I'm all for it. We see Christmas lights and never think about what they represent. They represent the fact, the most tr- dramatic fact of it for John, that the light has come. And because the light has come, we can have life. Here's the deal. After we put up all the decorations, get the tree decorated, one of my favorite things to do during December is to come down and have my devotions in the living room before everybody else is awake. It's dark and I plug in just the lights. I love that, the warm light of the the Christmas tree lights and I pray and I read and all of that. But I'm going to tell you guys, this year, even after talking to Eric, I'm not going to do it the same way. I want to remember what this represents. The light has come. Darkness is over. And if you're here, if your story is Eric's story, listen to me. The light has come for you. Respond to the light. Walk in the light and know his presence, his, protect, his protection, and his guidance. Father, thank you so much for the beautiful light of Christmas. Thank you for the unique and engaging way that John tells the Christmas story. And God, I'm praying for a person. I don't even know who I'm praying for, God, but God, whoever is here today, they felt this drawing. They keep on trying to shove it away, but God, in your faithfulness, you're bringing your light, you're shining light, you're beginning to open their eyes and they're scared about it. God, I'm praying that instead of running from the light, they would run to the light. And Father, that they would understand that you have come so that they could have life and have it abundantly. God, in this moment, I'm just praying that just as Eric figured out, all it takes is just 
being forgiven, asking you forgiveness, asking you to be Lord. And God, I'm praying that you would transform their life, that they would understand the newness that comes from having experienced the light, the light that we celebrate at Christmas. So Father, for what you've done and for what you have yet to do, I wanna thank you for this. And God, I, I look forward to what is going to come. I believe the best is yet to come. And I pray this in Jesus' strong name and all God's people said... Amen. Let me just say this. If you're here this morning and, and today you, you've asked God to, to change your life, you want to respond to light, man, and, and you don't even know what it looks like to start, I, I want to help you take next steps. So man, stop by the, the, uh, the Welcome Center. We've got a whole bunch of business cards out there, my cards. You can actually grab anybody's card there email us. Let us know that, that you want to walk in the light. We'll do everything we can to help you. Guys, I believe the best is yet to come. Let's celebrate Christmas. Let's not ever look at lights, Christmas lights, the same way. The light has come and he's come for us. Go, go in peace knowing that God is for you. We'll see you next week.